Belonging is kind of the ultimate human drug. Getting discomfortable with honesty. What's the point in being honest? Like, really, what's the big deal about honesty? Why, why we gotta be honest? Who says? I don't know. Actually, I do know. I have some pretty specific ideas. We humans are a social animal. Pretty much everything in our physiology, in our psychology, in our instincts, in our emotions is geared towards relationships with other humans. Some scientists believe that the most basic and important human need is belonging. Our whole sense of survival is completely wrapped up in fitting into the group, into being a part of humanity, part of the tribe. Nothing feels better than being accepted, being loved, being connected, being seen as good by other humans. We developed through evolution all of these emotional reinforcements that guided our ancestors towards connection and love and belonging and community. So when we did the things that were more likely to keep us alive, we got hit with all these positive emotions, all these pleasant feelings that felt amazing. That's what helped keep us alive. And of course, we also had shame. We developed a negative reinforcement so that when we didn't fit into the group, when we sensed that we were in danger of social rejection, we felt all of these awful, unpleasant emotions like shame and loneliness. And they were kind of like the backups for when the pleasant connecting emotions, the positive reinforcements weren't working. They made us feel awful such that we were motivated to go back into the group and therefore have a higher chance of survival. It wasn't like somebody intelligently designed all of this. It was just our ancestors that happened to feel good when they socialized were the ones who socialized more, and because socializing helped them survive, that just kept getting passed down to their children, kept getting reinforced on all sides. And our, our relatives, who didn't care for socializing, who went off on their own, yes, yeah, some of them got into amazing adventures and ran into other tribes and managed to fit in there. I'm sure that did happen. But more often than not, they probably died. And that is why why we did not inherit their desire for isolation and individualistic adventure. It's worth noting that not all animals are like this. There are also solitary animals, like most wild cats, which prefer to be alone. So basically, wild cats, I mean, I'm no expert on wild cats, but my presumption is that they have the exact reverse kind of emotional response that we have. They have a form of pleasant emotions, like, you know, our equivalent to love and belonging and connection and validation, but they feel those emotions when they are alone, and when they are with other cats, they feel an inverse version of shame. They feel awful. They feel sick. They feel like they are going to die, which is true. That's why wild cats are so territorial. They create their own space and they're like, this is where I'm going to live. I will fight you if not, because I need to eat the food that is in this area. And if we hang out together all the time, just like a bunch of humans, we're going to die because there won't be enough food. The only times that they are instinctually inclined to hang out with each other, these wildcats, is for mating, of course. This probably explains why house cats are such jerks all the time. They are kind of wired different than us. They're not really wired to be part of a community. They're really wired to do their own thing. In fact, it's probably torture for every house cat. They're just like, get me out of here. My point is just that we, we naturally feel 
the most amazing, the most pleasant, the most enjoyable emotions when we connect with other humans. And I think that if we are being dishonest with other humans, if we are being inauthentic around other humans, if we are putting on a mask all the time, if we are hiding some fundamental and important truths about ourselves, our subconscious is aware of this. I mean, our conscious brain is also aware of this. But our subconscious brain knows that we are not actually as completely connected, accepted, and validated by the group, that we don't actually have true belonging in the group because we are holding something back. We may have a big family that appears to love us. We may have tons of friends. But if we are holding something back, if we are being inauthentic, if we are not being honest, our subconscious is aware of that. And it is aware that we are not actually being loved for who we are. We don't actually belong for exactly who we are. We belong when we're playing a role. Our mask belongs. Our presentable self belongs, but not the real us. So as a result, I do not think that our brain is releasing the most pleasant of the pleasant emotions because it knows that we are not fully connected. It knows that we have not actually achieved the thing that humans have been wired over millions of years of evolution to achieve, which is full and true belonging. So to me, it's not a moral issue at all. It's not like, oh, well, lying is bad because, like, the Bible said so. No. You should be honest because if you want to feel the most amazing emotions that the human body can create, if you want to really feel fulfilled in the way that humans are designed to be fulfilled through belonging and community and love and acceptance and connection, you need to show your true self or it doesn't count. It's not real. And you know that somewhere deep down inside. I think we live in a world where so many people are wearing a mask of identity. Kind of like I talked about in that episode way back at the beginning of the podcast, like episode three or four or something on identity. We put all this effort into creating and defending this identity that we think is going to make people like us. But the truth is, that is fueled by our negative reinforcement for socializing through shame, not through the positive reinforcement of true belonging, love, and connection. So this is where it gets interesting, because our evolution is geared towards survival, not geared towards happiness or well-being. That means that in evolution's eyes, it is better to be alive than it is to be happy. So shame says, if your authentic self is going to cause you to not fit into the group, which back when we were hunter-gatherers meant probable death, then it is better to lie about your true self just to fit in so that you can survive, rather than show your true colors, get rejected, and die. Basically, it's better to be inauthentic and alive than to be your true self and dead. That is the ultimate goal of all of our instincts to keep us alive, not to keep us happy. However, we now live in a modern society where we are very unlikely to die. 
Like, it's true. I mean, I know people die all the time, but compared to our hunter-gatherer selves, the amount of threats in our life has gone down so dramatically that day to day, you know, we kind of just have to pay attention to things. We can't walk into traffic. But generally speaking, we do not have to worry about dying, like literally every day and every night, the way that our hunter-gatherer ancestors did. But we're still wired that way. We're still completely wired as if we were hunter-gatherers. So shame still makes social rejection feel like, oh, we're probably going to die. Subconsciously, social rejection still equals death somewhere in our brain. So it makes it seem like fitting in inauthentically, putting on this mask, creating this impressive identity is still really important. But that is all geared towards survival, not well-being. Survival is not a problem. So if you really want to experience well-being, which is now available to us more and more, given that survival is less and less of a concern, then you want to focus on the positive reinforcements towards sociality. And that is showing your true self and finding the community that's going to embrace, accept, and love that true self completely. Basically, being seen and finding that sense of unconditional love for exactly who you are. That is the golden ticket for a social animal. That is going to release so many pleasant feelings. That is going to create well-being. So, you know, like, you don't have to be honest if you don't want. But I'm just saying that the opportunity is out there to be your 100% honest, true self And to find the other humans, given that we now live in this interconnected global village, you can absolutely find the other humans who will 100% see you, understand you, appreciate you, love you, connect with you, and you will feel true belonging and you will feel the most pleasant emotions that humans have. You know, you may get rejected by your immediate culture. You may even get rejected by your family, which would be extremely painful. I think your family is so closely wired to you, is such a powerful relationship. I would never want to encourage you to just throw that connection away. But you always have the opportunity of finding a chosen family that will accept you and love you completely for who you are. You also have to be willing, of course, to love them completely back for who they are which is easier said than done, given that we have shame. So I'm not saying that you have to be completely honest. And I know that some people still live in cultures and societies where actually they might still die if they are honest. You know, you might live in a country that is so repressive that if you come out as trans, you really will be in danger of being murdered. I understand that. In that case, I think our old instincts are right. Shame is right. It is probably better to just fit in as long as you need to to survive until you can find a country or a place or a culture, if you can find another country, place, culture to live in, where you will be accepted completely. Even in that repressive culture, you can probably at least find some people who will accept you, even if it has to be secret. So, you know, in some cultures, in some instances, shame is still correct. When I am traveling in certain countries, I am not always honest about who I am completely. I keep my sexuality hidden sometimes because I just don't feel safe. Those are the instances where shame still makes sense for survival. But I know that it is my choice. And when I do feel safe, I know that I have the opportunity to be completely honest. I have the opportunity to take that risk. And I may be rejected by the people immediately in front of me. They may be like, oh, that's weird, or that's too much, or I just can't handle that, or I have the same shame as you, therefore I can't accept what gives you shame because it gives me shame as well. 
And that'll happen, and that'll feel awful. I'll be overwhelmed with shame. It'll be terrible. It'll be rejection. It'll be the worst feelings that humans have. But I know there are other humans out there, that there are other fish in the sea, so to speak. And I can keep looking for the other friends, for the other people, for the other chosen family members who will accept me. Understanding that honesty leads to that amazing feeling of connection, belonging, you know, the goal of pretty much every human, the source of well-being. Just understanding that allows you to decide for yourself when you want to take that risk, with whom you want to take that risk of being completely honest. Maybe you want to try it with your family. I mean, if you could do that, if you could be completely honest and convince them to accept you or be lucky enough that they just naturally do accept you unconditionally for who you are, then you've pretty much won the well-being lottery. But if not, you can just be on the lookout for those moments where you can be completely honest to try to cultivate those people and those situations and those communities where you can be completely honest, to, to look at it as a goal, as, a, as a, something to move towards, an ideal. Maybe you can't always do it. Maybe it isn't realistic. Maybe it isn't even completely safe where you live. But when you understand it, it can be a goal to work towards, to always get closer and closer to being as honest and open and real and authentic as possible, because you know that that is the holy grail for human well-being. For me, it's not that I ever considered myself a dishonest person, but I definitely bought into Shame's message that I needed to craft my image, that I needed to appear as impressive, successful, powerful, attractive, wealthy, and straight, and white, and male as I possibly could, because those were all of the things that my culture subconsciously said were the most valuable, were, were the most worthy. So I was putting a lot of energy into a kind of mask, a kind of identity, but it was motivated more by shame. I basically had my wires crossed. When you're motivated by shame, it means that your first priority, whether you realize it or not, is survival, not well-being. When you're motivated by the positive side, like love, connection, belonging, etc., then you're motivated by well-being. You're motivated by happiness. You're motivated by contentment. You're motivated by pleasant emotions. And that's a really important distinction. Of course, we all want to stay alive. I mean, that is one of our main goals, survival. There's no question about it. But I think we can all agree that above survival are where our needs get a lot more satisfying and interesting. That's when you start to get into things like meaning and purpose and well-being. Those are the needs which, once met, help a human to feel really self-actualized, to make life enjoyable and worth living. So it's really worth examining all the little ways that we are inauthentic in our daily lives, all the times where we put on a mask or where we cling to our identity as, you know, a filmmaker or whatever it is that you think you need to be to have value, to be special, to be worthy, to be lovable. For example, when someone says, how are you? And you say, I'm great, but really you're not great. 
That is a tiny moment of inauthenticity. And while that may seem like a tiny drop in the bucket, when you say that to everyone you meet every day, it starts to accrue. And once again, you are falling back into this inauthentic, trying to look good and happy, trying to fit in, trying to be normal and pleasant, and trying to get your etiquette perfect and right so that people accept you. But you are robbing yourself, little by little, bit by bit, You are robbing yourself of feeling well-being, of feeling truly seen, of feeling that sense of belonging that you crave, that we all crave deep down. It may not seem like much, but it's worth thinking about every little white lie you tell, about every half-truth, about every pleasantry, about every thought that you think that you decide not to say out loud. In fact, any time you are thinking something different than what you are saying, you are being inauthentic. All of those moments add up. They really do. They count. And they sap you of your well-being. That's why processes like authentic relating or nonviolent communication put such an emphasis on honest self-expression, in-the-moment authenticity, and empathy. They recognize that the most satisfying life is the one where you truly show yourself. And not only that, the icing on the cake is when the person who you show yourself to is able to truly see who you are and reflect that back to you and then show you exactly who they are. And then you see exactly who they are and you reflect that back to them so that you both know and you both feel confident that you've seen each other that you've really seen your true selves, and that you've both accepted each other for those truths, that you're not judging those truths. That's the moment of true connection, of true belonging. That's when you really feel accepted and you just are bursting with well-being. It feels so amazing. It's, it is kind of the ultimate human drug. It's also so important that we're able to belong to ourselves, that we are able to accept ourselves. If we want to create true connection with others, we have to be able to truly connect with ourselves first. I think this is at the heart of what Brene Brown means when she says, you can't love anyone more than you love yourself. Whatever aspects of yourself that you are unable to accept and love and embrace are the same aspects of everyone else that you will not be able to love and embrace or accept. It's like a roadblock for connection with everyone. We shame people with our own shame. Sometimes it doesn't seem like that. For example, lots of straight people have historically shamed gay people, at least in my lifetime and for most of the 20th century. And you might say, well, they don't have gay shame, they're not gay. But they were born in the same homophobic culture I was. They have shame about being gay. They just don't feel it the way I do because they know that they are not gay. But it's still there. And that's why it comes out when they see me or another gay person showing public affection. Because they are not triggering it themselves the way that I do. By being gay. By finding guys attractive. It's time that we started connecting shame to what it really is. 
which is a vestigial instinct, an old instinct that is designed to stop us from dying by motivating us to avoid social rejection. That means that when we feel shame, we can say, well, wait, am I actually in any danger of dying right now? The answer almost certainly will be no. So then you can take it one level up and say, am I even in danger of social rejection right now? And if the answer is yes, then you can ask yourself, but rejection from who? Is the person who might reject me in this situation for which I am feeling shame actually that important to me? Are they my be-all and end-all? Are they my only chance at belonging and connection and acceptance? Or are they just some stranger on the internet? It allows you to evaluate how you want to deal with that shame. If you're actually in danger of dying, I would listen to that shame message. If you're actually in danger of social rejection, I would listen to that too. But first I would gauge rejection from whom? Are they important? Do I need to care about rejection from this random person or this not all that important group in my life? If it is rejection from one of the most important communities like your family, then it's worth thinking about. It's worth debating how you want to go about it. When is the right time? How you could avoid being rejected? How you could help your family see where you're coming from and and why this really is your truth? But understanding what shame really is allows you to make those decisions for yourself, allows you to decide what's actually important and what isn't. It's worth noting that shame is going to make it feel important no matter what. Shame is going to make it feel like it's life or death, even when you're just being ridiculed by an anonymous stranger on the internet. That's shame's job. Shame thinks that all social rejection is equal. Because when shame was invented by evolution... We lived in a tiny group of 50 to 150 people. So any time that we felt shame, it was really important. It was our key group. It was our tribe, our family, our extended family. So it's no wonder that shame takes all social rejection extremely seriously. It still thinks that we live in that world, but we don't. So it is up to us to take the space and the time when we feel shame such that we can let it pass such that we can try to get our prefrontal cortex back online, the logic center of our brain, such that we can take the time to not fall directly into fight-or-flight mode. If we can take the time and space we need when we feel shame to avoid getting trapped in our caveman brain, then we can go back to our intelligent prefrontal human cortex, the most modern part of our brain, and decide how we want to deal with this shame, how important this group is, whether we actually are in any danger of rejection or death. And the same is true when you look at honesty. We're afraid to be honest because shame is telling us that the stakes of being honest and being rejected for that honesty is death. And because belonging is still, you know, the greatest drug a human can have, it's still going to hurt a lot when we get rejected. That is still going to be a painful blow because it is essentially the exact opposite of belonging. It's kind of like a heroin addict going into withdrawal. We are experiencing withdrawal from belonging, aka the greatest feeling we have, one of the most important sources of our sense of well-being. So it's going to hurt every time we're rejected. We have to be aware of that. But that amount of hurt is temporary and worth it 
for the incredible, pleasant feeling of meaning and purpose and well-being and love that we will get when we finally do find the people who accept that difficult truth that we are telling. When we find those people, their acceptance of us, their love and connection to us, that sense of community and belonging is likely to last so much longer than any temporary feeling of rejection. Community and belonging and true acceptance is an ongoing, continually rewarding experience. That's why it's so important to hang out with your friends and your family and the the people who really know you and really accept you and love you for who you are as much as you can. It just keeps rewarding us and rewarding us with all these pleasant emotions. It's evolution's way of saying, good job, you're, you're likely to stay alive, statistically. So the reward for being honest, the ultimate reward, if you really stick it out and find your people, is going to be absolutely worth all of the rejection and shame that you feel along the way to finding true connection and belonging. And on that journey, it's so important to find true connection, acceptance, and belonging with yourself so that you can love yourself unconditionally, which will then open you up to loving your friends and family unconditionally as well. You will therefore be giving them the most incredible feelings of acceptance and belonging and connection. You will be adding to their pleasant feelings, adding to their well-being astronomically when they know deep down that you have seen them and that you will continue to see them and you will continue to love and accept whatever they show you, even if it's difficult, even if you don't agree with it, you will still accept them and love them. You don't need to use the threat of withdrawing your support and love in order to change someone's behavior. You can love and accept someone and still encourage them to evolve and to be the best version of themselves that they can be. Those two things are not mutually exclusive. I still have a long way to go with this whole honesty thing. I'm still trying to get over being nice to everyone all the time, telling people what I think they want me to say, being pleasant and friendly even when I don't feel like it. I struggle with this as much as anyone, but I at least see that ideal of working towards being more and more honest, even in the tiniest little most meaningless day-to-day moments, just trying to be as authentic and honest and transparent as I can. And that's part of what this podcast is about. I am trying to push myself to be more transparent about my life, about what I'm feeling, about what I'm going through, about what I'm doing, because it's going to help me feel truly seen. It's going to help me feel truly connected to the people that matter to me. It's going to help me build community and belonging. And the downside is that some people will mock me and reject me and judge me, and those will be some extremely unpleasant but very temporary feelings. And ultimately, I am comforted to know that no matter how bad it feels, I am unlikely to die because of it. The reward of true ongoing acceptance and belonging completely outweighs the punishment of some painful but brief stings of shame. 